All content published by Your Brain on Science is solely the opinions of the authors and does not reflect the opinions of any parties affiliated with them or any additional third parties. and welcome to a very special episode where we talk about the intersection between cannabis and psychedelic policy reform with none other than Oregon Congressman Earl Blumenauer. Um, For our listeners who don't typically keep up with politics, we wanted to give you guys some background. Uh, So Blumenauer was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 1996, uh, where he has been a tireless advocate for the 3rd Congressional District. He's been recognized for his creative, innovative policies and accomplishments, um, and also his political leadership in Oregon and nationwide. The congressman has been a champion for rebuilding and renewing our nation's infrastructure, uh, economic security for families, protection of public lands, stopping gun violence, Uh, ending the prohibition of marijuana and criminal justice reform. He co-chairs not only the Cannabis Caucus, but also the Neuroscience Caucus, amongst others. Uh, So we just want to thank you so much, Congressman, for joining us today and for all your work uh, so far. And we're really excited to sort of chat with you about some of that today. Likewise, I'm looking forward to the conversation. All right, so we'll get right into it. I want to just talk a little bit about your work as a representative, obviously. Um, So you've been heavily involved in cannabis reform in Oregon. So I'm just curious, why did you decide to back this issue? Well, I was part of an effort uh, years ago in Oregon where we were working to decriminalize uh, addiction. Uh, That was uh, in the early 70s. We used to lock up chronic late stage alcoholics. The drunk tank was a real place that people were tossed. And at that point, cannabis was criminalized. Uh, People who used it were subject to criminal penalties. And and sadly, that's continued. As I researched the issue, it was clear to me that that was absolutely the wrong step to take. Cannabis is less addictive and dangerous than many things that are perfectly legal. For example, tobacco. If we were rescheduling the Controlled Substance Act today, cannabis wouldn't even be on it. It is not highly addictive, it's not dangerous, and it has therapeutic purposes. Tobacco will kill you. Tobacco is responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths every year. It's highly addictive um, and is not good for your health in other ways. So as I got into the issue, it just seemed to me that it was absolutely the wrong policy to take. And there were, in the early 70s, there were moves to try and reform cannabis. In fact, there was a major committee that had been set up during the Nixon administration, a blue ribbon committee, uh, to evaluate what the policies should be for cannabis. And that blue ribbon commission came back and said that it shouldn't be criminalized. But Richard Nixon declared war on drugs. It was a political war. 
we have now persuasive evidence that he was targeting young people, black people, trying to uh, gain political advantage and marginalize groups that he thought were opposed to him. And he was right. Um, so we've been stuck in this bizarre loop of criminalization, the war on drugs, just say no. Um, Nancy Reagan uh, took it to a, a new level. Uh, but in the meantime, over the course of 40 years, we have had disastrous consequences on hundreds of thousands, particularly young black men, but people of color and young people. And in the, in the meantime, not only have we, uh, in some cases, literally destroyed their lives, but we've missed out on an opportunity to have a more rational and thoughtful policy. Because cannabis has been used for millennia. Um, it has therapeutic impacts. Um, at a time when uh, uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs were handing out opioids like Tic Tacs, uh, we were not using a proven therapy to deal with traumatic brain injury from uh, depression, uh, chronic pain, um, things that were not as were not addictive, were more effective, and by the way, much less expensive. So for me, being involved with this made all the sense in the world in terms of criminal justice, in terms of health, and in terms of common sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is something that is now in the past, I would say, 10 years coming to the forefront, right? And especially the aspect of institutionalized racism, right? How this was a part, this is a part of that. Yes. Um. So this is a question for you, right? How do you feel it's it's been different now? Like, what are the differences from when you started to now and in your state of Oregon? And also, I would say, in the United States. Well, Oregon was the first state to decriminalize cannabis. I'm proud of that. Uh, it worked reasonably well. I am disappointed that it has taken this long to get to this point. Uh, now, we now have 38 states with medical cannabis. And with Minnesota last week, we now have 23 states that have adult use. Um, but I thought that it would happen much faster. But having said that, I'm excited with the accelerated momentum that we have. Starting in 2012, where we had uh, the state of Washington and Colorado be the first state to legalize adult use. Two years later, Oregon and Alaska uh, were added to it. And that was very important because that was in a non-presidential year. It showed how much support had been mobilized. When I started this, uh, the public opinion polls showed that it was uh, generally two to one uh, people being opposed to it. And we have watched steady increase in support. Now, part of it is due to the fact that we've had tremendous advocacy, young people, uh, people who care about criminal justice reform, uh, what we've seen in terms of the scientific 
community being able to put a stamp of approval. Uh, it's slowly but surely the momentum has shifted. Now we're in a point where the overwhelming majority of Americans now support full legalization. It's like 67, 68, 69%. And when you look at subgroups, I, I find it exciting that now a majority of Republicans support full legalization. And if you're talking about medical cannabis, it's, it's like the 4th of July. Uh, it's in the 90% range, uh, particularly one of the areas I've been working on for years that you're aware of, trying to make sure that we provide medical cannabis access for veterans. And mm -hmm. that is overwhelmingly supported. And frankly, that may be the vehicle that helps us to crack some very difficult cases like the state of Texas. Yeah. So we talk about um, this on the state level, right? Um, are there, what are the conflicts between state um, decriminalization, state legalization or medical use, um, and then at a federal level, how it's still technically illegal? Yeah. Well, it's, it's really a, a sad consequence of having a federal policy that is hopelessly out of touch, not just with what's going on in the majority of states, but it's hopelessly out of touch with what Americans want and need. Um, by making it uh, illegal at the federal level, it has all sorts of uh, ramifications. One of the most obvious and painful and stupid is denying state legal cannabis businesses, the full range of access to financial services. That has, that has resulted in uh, dispensaries being sitting ducks. If they don't have access to banking services, they are operating on an all cash basis. They are attractive for thugs to rob them. And it happens every day across the country. We've seen violence, people have been killed. Um, it's just ludicrous. Now, we've made some tremendous progress on that. We have, in the House of Representatives, we have passed sa the Safe Banking Act that would fully legalize the financial situation for uh, state legal cannabis seven times. Wow. But it has hit a roadblock in the Senate. Now, I'm pleased to say that it now looks like we're turning the corner. The U.S. Senate leadership under Leader Schumer, Ron Wyden, Cory Booker, are on board with financial uh, services for the cannabis industry. And I think we've got an excellent chance to finally get this passed. Uh, we've had problems with research. Um, until recently, uh, the federal government stood in the way of doing just basic research about the impacts of cannabis. Uh, there was one plantation in the United States in Mississippi that was growing an inferior strain of cannabis um, and all sorts of roadblocks in terms of people being able to do thoughtful searching analysis of the therapeutic benefits. Well, we've ended up outsourcing our research to 
Israel and Canada and Great Britain. And we, as a result, we don't have the most basic test, which we should have, for impairment. Now, nobody wants people operating heavy equipment, you know, who are impaired. Right. No disagreement. But we have those rules for alcohol. And we can test for impairment. If you had a beer uh, two or three days ago, you're not impaired. We have an, an analytic test that shows that. We don't have a test for impairment for cannabis. So you, you will test positive a week or two or a month after you've used cannabis, um, even though there's no possibility of your being impaired. Uh, that's been frustrating. I think we're turning the corner on that. I was pleased that my uh, cannabis research bill was the first amendment to the Controlled Substance Act in 53 years. And so hopefully we're moving down a more rational path. But these are things that just make no sense and should not stymie progress across the board. Yeah, exactly. And and a couple of things come to mind there. The the first being uh just how much these laws on the federal level do impede research. Um and we've seen it with cannabis, we've seen it with what we study psychedelics and just yeah. being yeah. able to access these things to do the research is so important. Um and I just I find it interesting that the there's one place in the government that makes all of the canvas to that researchers are allowed to study. That's where everybody has to get it from the same place. Um, so I just think that's another barrier to access, right? We're not allowing, you know, different strains to be studied, which is like such right. a big thing. So right. um, definitely big impact there. Well, it's, it's maddening because uh, I've done a lot of work with parents who have children with extreme seizure disorder. And as you know, one of the few things that stops these little babies from being tortured is a derivative of cannabis. It works. But they have to figure this out on their own. They, they buy it on the street. They kind of do their own testing and development. Um, they do it because it works for their children and they're desperate. But this ought to be something that the federal government should not provide roadblocks for research. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's part of our whole dynamic, criminalizing the use of drugs and preventing an opportunity to really do the painstaking, important research. We need to know about these things. We need to know what works, what doesn't. We need to be able to test for impairment. And it shouldn't be this hard. Unfortunately, people are trapped in this uh, decades-long war on drugs that is baked in to the federal bureaucracy. So we're not getting help from the Department of Justice, from Health and Human Services. Uh, people that should be working to solve problems are instead creating roadblocks. Right. And, you know, we 
we prize education so much. We know how important it is to be educated and to understand things, right? And a lot of this is rooted in misinformation. We don't know a lot about these drugs or the capabilities of these drugs or how we can help other people because of all of these roadblocks. And it's just, it's just such a shame, but um, you are, you know, actively working to, to bring this about and make, and make things better in this sense. So you've recently introduced uh, the Right to Try Clarification Act, uh, yes. which would expand access to life-changing treatments by including the federal Right to Try Act Schedule One substances uh, that have completed phase one clinical studies, right? right? So there's quite a bit. Um, right. So this is going to include things like psilocybin, which is what we yes. study. Um, and this was three years ago. This was following the decriminalization of uh, psilocybin in Oregon. So based on, you know, what we've been talking about, what led you to introduce this act? Well, it's it's part of the same landscape. Mm -hmm. I strongly believe that we need to find out the properties of these substances. Now, they again, in terms of uh, magic mushrooms, psilocybin, cannabis, these are substances that indigenous people have used for millennia. We know that they make a difference. Um, we have caught this up with this misdirected, ill-advised, and dangerous war on drugs. So we're trapping people in this never-never land where they, they, they can't go forward to actually find out the properties. Uh, the federal government is actually in the way impeding research. So I've introduced uh, the Right to Try Clarification Act because federal uh, restrictions have obstructed access to end-of-life care. And this is something that I've, I'm the death panel guy, right, for the Affordable Care Act. I worked really hard to be able to have the federal government help families understand what they're facing at the end of life. And one of the areas that has tremendous promise is, is dealing uh, with psilocybin, um, it's reducing the anxiety. Uh, well, and, and psilocybin generally, there, uh, it looks like there are tremendous uh, applications in terms of dealing with addiction. Um, we do not want to be in a situation where the federal government stands in the way of research and progress. I'm proud that in Oregon, we've been sort of on the cutting edge here for more than 40 years, starting with decriminalization, one of the first states to deal with adult use and medical. And our voters, our voters decided that we were going to go down this path uh, with psilocybin. Uh, and it's, as you know, from your research, this is being done in a very thoughtful and careful way. There will be controlled uh, uses. They're going to uh, um, give manufacturers operations. There's a testing lab. There have been facilitators that can help people uh, explore their own experience. I mean, it's. I think it's kind of a textbook case of how to do it step by step, reaching thoughtful resolution to objections, taking time. We're taking a couple of years to roll this out uh, and have it be supervised and thoughtful. Um, and I'm, 
I am really pleased that Oregonians are on the cutting edge of something that has such promise uh, for many applications from end of life to fighting addiction or to just what people want to do, exploring their own consciousness. Absolutely. Yeah. I wish that Virginia was on the same level. I just uh, spoke in front of the Virginia House to try to speak as a scientific expert in favor of reducing the sentence mm -hmm. for medical psilocybin, but unfortunately it was tabled. So we'll get back at it next year, hopefully. But Well, let me just say that you are on the side of history. I mean, I, I have been doing this literally my entire adult life. And what I have seen really gives me hope. I'm frustrated that it took this long uh, because the evidence has been much clearer for a long time uh, to support more rapid reform. Uh, but this is baked into all sorts of philosophical, political, religious, moral. I mean, there are all, all sorts of conflicts. But watching what has taken place, uh, I think is extraordinary. Um, and we're uh, going to provide uh, more test cases for Oregon uh, with the work that we're doing. But people around the country are moving in this direction. Uh, and I'm optimistic that uh, we're entering the home stretch. Uh, I think this is can can literally be wrapped up in the course of the next two to four years. We've got a number of these things that are being teed up. Um, and I'm I'm uh, optimistic that we have a strong case to make. And frankly, I'm encouraged that people like you are doing the analysis, trying to educate people. Um, you lead with science. And that, in the final analysis, is what's going to make the difference um, getting this ad adopted. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think that there's anything that um, you've learned with your work with cannabis um, that can be taken into the, the fight for the psychedelic um, policy changes? Like, are there similarities or differences within the two? Yeah. Well, I, I think the, the approach, trying to be analytic, careful, thoughtful, make it science-based, uh, work to expand people's understanding, um, that made a big difference when we were dealing with decriminalization of cannabis. And I think it's going to make the difference dealing with psilocybin. As you know, there's been sort of a how do I say this delicately, kind of a checkered past. <clears throat> the federal government here again was a culprit. The federal government was involved with all sorts of uh, pretty bizarre tests uh, with the Defense Department and so forth. I mean, uh, Timothy Leary and kind of the psychedelic tripping uh, gave it a little bit of, uh, of a bad name. Um, but you know, the fact is the federal government has not been co a constructive partner. The federal government was involved with some pretty reckless uh, experimentation um, and uh, has contributed to the false impressions about dangers and benefits. Um, I'm hopeful that uh, we're finally uh, reaching the point where the federal government will be a more productive partner. I'm fighting internally, I'm fighting politically, um, but What's going to make most of the difference, I think, is having people who are science-based, thoughtful, who are 
going where the evidence leads them and adding their voices, adding your voices to this discussion. We need you more than we need politicians. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we're here, we're here to do it. It's, it's so interesting. Um, when we think about the cannabis policy and psychedelic policy, psychedelic also psychedelics also have this rich cultural and religious history that you talked about earlier, right? Like they're used in indigenous communities and have been forever and ever. Um, so I think that's also a very interesting nuance to all of this, but everything yes. that you've said to us today has been really, really great. And we are so excited to be working alongside you and other like-minded people. Um, and I think this brings us to the end of our time. So we'd like to thank you so much, Congressman Blumenauer, for joining us today. Um, and providing us your insight into all of these issues um, and talking about your support and your tangible and the tangible differences that you're helping to make. Um, well, finally, the last thing we're going to ask you, um, is there any advice you would like to leave our listeners, us, um, with if uh, we would like to get involved in activism or policy reform? Well, we invite people to look at our materials. Uh, I have a lot of legislation that um, is related to it for both cannabis and psychedelics, um, we encourage people to be part of an ongoing discussion to be able to destroy some of the myths. I mean, what your 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 testimony, uh, for example, is an example of how we're chipping away uh, with broader understanding, and it really has shifted the debate. It is much more science oriented. We've got all sorts of results that we can point to. We have more advocates. It is an increasing size of our economy when you're talking about uh, state legal cannabis. Uh, it's gonna be $40 billion this year and employ hundreds of thousands of people. There's a track record here. Uh, so I think being patient, being analytic, uh, and being collaborative uh, makes all the difference in the world. And I, I appreciate this conversation. I appreciate your work and I look forward to future conversations. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Um, and thank you to everyone who is tuning into this episode today. Um, all right, with that, we'll see you.